0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick,
2: the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State
0: University. Chandler get! all. Oh, wow.
1: The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big man. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jayden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite kind of like Duncan. The crowd loves it. Pistons need a three, and they have just other three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is.
0: Pistons fans, hello and welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast brought to you by Believe. We've got a fun crew here today for this week's show. It's myself, Aaron Johnson. Jasper Apolonia is back this week. We missed him last week and we've got Tim Forkin in the building here today. Tim fresh off a, a trip to Mexico and a, and a sickness, but he's battling through, wanted to join, was a late addition to the show. Tim, how are we feeling? Are we better? And uh, it's good to have you here.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 great. I'm I'm feeling as rested as possible. Was sick, uh battled through it. Um I I come back tanner like Cade has as well and Cade has been an absolute terror since he came back. Tan Cade is here so maybe Tan Tim will will be uh I'll ball out in the same way that Cade has since he's returned. Uh so yeah, all good here. Happy to be here with you boys talking the Pistons.
1: Tan Tim and the Flu Game sounds like the most confusing children's book title of like in the history of the world, but we're happy to have Tim here. Let's fork and go. That's all I got to say. Go. He, he popped up on my screen. This is a surprise to me as well. And I got, I got real excited. So happy to have this crew together and to, uh, get into another exciting edition of the palace of Pistons podcast.
0: Yeah. We've got certainly a lot to talk about. The Pistons have played a, a few interesting games here over the last week or so. Couple late losses to the Magic and the Knicks with plenty of eyes on how the Pistons went down in those games. But they then battled back and picked up a win against a, a Chicago Bulls team that shot historically bad from the three point line. We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about Mike Muscala, the return of Isaiah Stewart, so much more to talk about on the show. But before we do that, I do want to mention our sponsor this week, Bet Online. Bet Online continues to be your number one source. For all of your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year, with up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile device. Head to BetOnline today to become part of the team, and remember to use promo code BLEAV, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first d- deposit. Bet online, the game starts here. Okay, so let's talk about these last three games for the Pistons. It was a, a couple really tough losses to watch against the Magic and the Bulls uh, after, or excuse me, the Magic and the Knicks. Uh, I had written about Monty Williams and the fact that he just needs to be better for this team to play better um that's on our palace of pistons substack i would highly recommend checking that out on palaceofpistons.com so i wrote about that and i and we're probably going to hit on some of those points that i wrote about here uh in today's show but i mean let's let's start with these these losses to to orlando and and to new york the pistons had some chances in both of those games they ultimately come up short. There was the Apollo game winner that we thought was a travel, looked like a travel. The NBA doubled down and said it wasn't a travel. And then there was the the Knicks loss where Dante DiVincenzo turned into a WWE wrestler and speared a Sar Thompson's knee, creating a loose ball. The Knicks picked it up and got a bucket at the rim where the Pistons were then called for committing a foul. It was Jalen Duran who also committed the foul, on Paulo Bancaro's game winner in the Magic loss. So, I mean, those last two ga- those last two losses for Detroit, really, really brutal. But then they bounce back with the win against Chicago. I guess these last three games for the Pistons, I mean, what are we taking away from, I guess, them playing a little bit more competitive basketball
1: after some recent blowouts? I, I mean, for me, it's Cade Cunningham. Like, like, we joked about Cade coming back with a tan, but he looks rested. He looks healthy. He looks absolutely dominant. Uh, The guy has just been on fire since coming back from the All-Star break. Honestly, he has been on fire for longer than that. Uh, I sent out a tweet yesterday kind of just breaking down how good he's been, and really, the the common denominator there is him playing next to Jaden Ivy instead of Killian Hayes. Uh, The the splits on the year are honestly shocking. Uh, Cade basically goes from like a 43 three 44% three-point shooter next to Jaden Ivey to like a 29% three-point shooter next to Killian Hayes so it's it's great to see that like Cade is coming along in the way that exactly you'd want him to um yeah he's, he's just been absolutely on fire I thought he outplayed Paolo uh, I thought he was the best player on the court against the Bulls and I thought he was fantastic against the Knicks as well Look, with the Paolo game winner, um, I have to be honest. I did not think it was a travel. When you look at just the way that NBA uh, rules work when it comes to picking up your pivot foot and all that stuff, uh, Paolo didn't travel. Um, the idea that Jalen Brunson, <laughs> that that <laughs> Asar Thompson was not fouled, Hollow, however, was an absolute mockery. Like I don't, I don't know how you don't call that uh, absolutely insane. Uh, but yeah, for me, I think the main takeaway is Kate Cunningham, because at this point, that's really all you can take away from these wins and losses for the Pistons. It's individual players' efforts, uh, certain lineups, how they work together in combination. Other than that, I mean, look at the bench the Pistons are throwing out there right now. There's not much else you can take away.
2: Yeah, I'll back what Jasper said, uh, in my limited time watching, uh, while I was on vacation, uh, when I was on Twitter, I kept seeing the Cade and Paolo, like, stat comparison. It reposted under Jackson Frank posted it. I'm sure we've posted about it as well. Like, uh, the stat comparison between Cade and Paolo, and then seeing the way the Magic ended up winning that game and what it took for them to win that game. Um, I I would like, – I'd like to back Jesper there. Like, Cade has been an absolute tear. That's that's the main takeaway that I have in paying attention to the Pistons is um, Paolo as being uh, – put up as this like great young talent future of the league. Um him and Cade have played similar amount of games. They uh are yeah, they put similar amount of games. They are both balling at an elite level. And uh Cade is getting the respect. And it's gonna come uh when the team starts winning, uh when the rotation makes any semblance of common sense, um if if it ever comes. Um but no I I am just extremely happy to see Cade there were some moments this season and in the past where if I was getting too far ahead of myself, I would have doubted his ability to eventually become the guy. Um, I'm saying this today full knowing that I'm a, a Pistons fan who changed his mind a lot, but I, I really have a hard time seeing how Cade could ever fall from grace at this point that he's playing at now. He just looks too good, too confident um he's finally getting some respect as like a future top 20 guy all nba guy um and the comparison in the in Paolo and with that game specifically is like we have a guy just as much as orlando has a guy um and the pistons and the pistons fans like that that's the main takeaway i have even through the losses like there is a there is a, a light thing in the tunnel and it comes uh, on the backs of kate Cunningham
0: still
1: yeah i i thought i think one thing that was interesting uh jackson frank uh, tweeted out about, you know, the comparison between Paolo and Cade, and how one of them is perceived in terms of Paolo as being like, "Wow, Paolo is incredible," versus Cade, where it's like, "Ah, oh, inefficient bus." And it's like, you look at the overall season numbers, Cade's actually more efficient in a lot of ways. He he scores better from two, um, you know, he's not shooting overall on the season better than Paolo from three. But when you take in, you know, you take out the the Killian Hayes minutes. All of a sudden, he is better from three, shoots better from the free throw line, more assists, fewer turnovers. Um, I think it's still fair for, for a fan to be higher on Paulo just overall because of his size. But really, like, when you look at it, Cade has been just as good, if not better. And don't forget, he's actually played fewer NBA games than Paolo Banquero has in their respective careers. So... If there's one, you know, real bright spot coming out of out of the All Star break, it has to be Cade. Um, even if you know the the team results haven't necessarily been where you want, there's a reason they've been in all those games. It's it's him. Yeah, Cade, Cade's last four post All Star break: thirty
0: points, eight assists uh, in a fourteen point loss to Indiana. Then they had twenty six point twenty six point seven rebounds, four assists in that Magic loss against the Knicks he had 32 points and 8 assists and then the Bulls game uh 26 5 and 5 so he's come out of the all-star break a lot better than how he went into it and I think that's maybe what led to some of that discourse is K put up two stinkers two bad games right before uh the all-star break and then obviously wasn't in the all-star game wasn't in the competition where they had uh you know three of the last four number one overall picks Playing in the skills competition or whatever it was, so I think it was just like a a bad time to go on a break with how Cade went into the All Star break. But he's come out and he's been absolutely dominant. And the the thing for me is, he started off the month and he'd be under twenty points a game, and he would only be taking you know fourteen shots, or he took eleven shots in the loss to Phoenix before the All Star break. Like to me. The Pistons are gonna go as Kade goes, and and unless he's had he has a 15 assist game and his teammates are are, are shooting, uh, you know, historically amazing from from outside, Cade Kade needs to be taking more shots. Like he needs to be around 20 shots a night every single game. Like, and there should be games where he's over 20 shots a night. He just needs to be that type of alpha with this team. Now I get against the Bulls, he only needed 13 shots to get 26 points, and that was enough, but. They had contributions from everyone in that starting lineup and got points off the bench from Simone Pontecchio. Other than that, though, there's too many games where there's not enough guys that can score this ball consistently like Cade can. And and even if Cade's efficiency does drop a little bit, it it, it makes more sense to put the ball in his hand and say, look, we need you to generate more shots for yourself. We like that you generate shots for others, but if we're not shooting well enough or we're not finishing those touches we're, we're it's not going to matter so he yeah, no, had only 20 points against or 20 shots against Orlando 19 against the Knicks like that's where I think he needs to be and he can still rack up assists while doing that the bigger thing is him playing bigger minutes right 36 against Chicago 36 against New York when he's playing 24 25 26 minutes it just that's Monty Williams doing things that make no sense. And you're going to see worse games from Cunningham when he's playing 10 less minutes than, than he should be on a nightly basis. So, uh, yeah, Cade's been absolutely spectacular post all-star break. I liked what I've seen from Assar Thompson as well. He's hit a couple of big shots in late in games for Detroit. He's playing really good defense, uh, in that starting lineup. I was surprised that he remained in the starting lineup when, uh, Isaiah Stewart returned against Chicago. I figured it was going to be Fontecchio uh, that just slid into the you know three spot or whatever, but a star stayed in the starting lineup and played a really good game. So I I really like what I have seen from him as well. I think a couple guys that the 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 Pulse is a little bit down on right now might be Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. There's been a lot of talk about Duran's defense. I did not like the way he looked towards the end of that Bulls game, had some turnovers, some bad shots, um, just did not play right in the final six minutes when he came back into the game. Um, people have really, really talking about his defense, which I, I do agree is a problem. Um, and then Jaden Ivy, who's not been super efficient has been battling his own turnover issues. Uh, where are we at with, with those two guys? Because it feels like, every week we're talking about certain a certain member of this core, this quote-unquote core four, and we're like, are these guys going to be good enough to build around and move forward with? And it, it feels like we've just talked about a different player each week, whether it's a SAR and, and can he be a good enough shooter? Can he play with Durin long-term? Whether Cade is actually the guy when his numbers dip or you know, having this conversation about Ivy who was playing really well with Cade uh, but post-All-Star break, the numbers just just haven't been where they, they, they have been and need to be, uh, you know, to be a successful successful long-term starter moving forward. So where are we at with, with those two
1: right now? Well, in regards to Asar, I mean, if he can match the opposing team's three-point makes uh, every single game, I think the Pistons are going to be just fine, like he did against the Bulls. Uh, I don't know if that's... Ever going to happen again in his career where he matches the opposing team's output from from three? That was truly a bizarre game, um, especially with like Andre Drummond and Nikola Vucevic playing a ton of minutes together. That that was an interesting one. I actually total aside. I kind of find that interesting for the Bulls. I kind of like that lineup where they go too big with with Vooch and Drummond. It was an interesting wrinkle, but it, it worked for them. Like, they got blown out overall in the Vucevic minutes. But with Drummond, they were pretty good. Um, I, I'm interested to see them keep doing that. But, no, in, in regards to your question, look, with Durin, this has been an issue for me all season long. Uh, it was a huge issue from game one. It's continued to be a big issue. Look, the, no one is debating he is an elite finisher at the rim, especially in the pick and roll. His screen game has really come a long way uh, against the Bulls. I thought it was especially noticeable. You know, the first two shots Cade Cunningham took were mid-range jumpers that he came off of Durant screens for. Um, the one where he crossed over Alex Caruso, sent him right into the screen and then, you know, shot the shot the J. Awesome. That was great. And that's the type of two-man game and the type of play from your big man that doesn't always get recorded in the stat sheet. But I thought it was great. Um, He is a talented passer. He's not a good passer. And that's, I think, kind of the issue with Duran right now. There's talent as a rim protector. There's talent as a passer. There is talent as a guy who can get out on the perimeter and slide his feet a little bit to stay with opposing uh, guards. The problem is he just doesn't put it all together it's it's talent it's not output and while I still like Jalen Duran, I definitely think this is something that like if you're really going to commit to him really going to commit like max money or even near max money you have to see an improvement on that defensive end he does not get out to the perimeter quick enough like he doesn't close out well um and I, I just think that that is a really really big issue When you are a big man who's getting put into pick and roll defense a lot, I just I don't see how you can make that work in the end. With in regards to Ivy, I'm not as worried. We know he is going to have hot stretches and cold stretches. This happened last year, too. I look at the overall numbers since he went back into the starting lineup. I mean, look, he's averaging 17 and a half points. Four and a half assists, four rebounds, shooting almost 45% from the floor and 39% from three. Like that is that is output I am comfortable with over an extended period of time. I just think that's what you need to see from him right now. Is like next decade, does he in the end like ha- give you that that high level output that you need from a secondary guard, and more importantly. How does he affect Cade's game? And that brings me back to what I was saying before, where, you know, Cade Cunningham's efficiency with Jaden Ivey in the starting lineup. I mean, since December 18th, which is when Ivy came into the starting lineup, Cade's averaging almost 24 points, almost eight, eight assists, four and a half rebounds, 50% from the floor overall, 43% from three. And 82% from the line, like, that's more important to me for what Jaden Ivy gives you right now. He doesn't have to be the kind of guy that's going to cause a debate over who should be the first option, option second option uh, among fans every night. Doesn't have to be that. What he has to do is ensure that the guy, Cade Cunningham, who is your lead guard, is being able to be effective efficient and giving you that kind of output. And right now that's what he's giving you. So I have no issue with that.
2: Yeah. I want to play devil's advocate on a few of your Duran points. I don't really have anything to add for the Ivy part. I think he's going to be what he is, which is a, a growing, very good young guard in this league who, like you said, Jasper, we have to figure out if he's going to be the guy next to Cade. Um, when he's on his own, he's great. And when Cade's on his own, he's great. Uh, they, they seem to be working decently well together, but it, it, there's more work to be done there. But on the Duran points, just that was advocate twice. And this might be optimistic Tim fan brain or, or I'm just, just helping the conversation here, but he's 20 years old and it's been very clear that his ankles like are a problem. So is his inability on defense tied to either of those things? Like he's still so young. I imagine being the anchor of a defense at 20 years old, uh just would be difficult for anyone. so like our maybe we're being a little bit too hard on him. just once again, devil's advocate. number two, his ankles like Aaron, I know we saw in person this year. um Durin just isn't there's something there. I think still where he runs his his uh his uh, gait is a little weird. and I think there's just like I don't know what drugs he's on or what they're pumping him with or if he just has, has like a gate issue. but that needs to be cleaned up. That that impacts your ability to play defense. I know firsthand. I'm someone who's rolled their ankles a million times. I'm not a good defender to begin with. And if my ankles are sore, I'm not playing any lick of defense. I'm not getting out to the perimeter in a world, if I was in the NBA, where i just get shots rained on me from the perimeter. Um, it might be wishful thinking right now to expect that Duran can be um, this switch-all, do-all, big-time defender that that he looks like and and has shown that he can be at certain points. Just two points to put out there. I think overall um we had the conversation before the deadline internally just like who's the guy you'd be willing to get rid of and at the time it was ivy ivy completely went on a tear and now duran has kind of fallen to that that third or fourth part of the the order of the the core four as you'd like to call it um i hate because i'm the opposite of this but i i hate taking this stance but it's more time with duran he has the rest of the year and some of next for me to figure out like what kind of defender he could be um, because he's shown flashes but right now ivy completely jumped him in, in those rankings of like how we feel about the young players because to finish the point like that is what these last few games are about is the individual outlook of these players um not to say Duran can't turn all this around just that's where he is right now and that has to be okay
0: yeah i think a a, a point to make here uh to try to have a little grace with the conversation surrounding Durant is first off he's 20 years old still a very 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 young player and he is top five or six in rebounding uh, in the league and he's top five or six in field goal percentage in the league so he is very good at a few very key skill sets so uh it's it's you have to keep that in mind when we nitpick A guy like Duran, he still is very good at some very very important things. So, yes, you'd like to see him play better on defense. Yes, you'd like to see him be able to to be an anchor in in the paint and and be that type of guy. But I agree. I, I do think there's lingering issues with the ankles. We know he's had bilateral ankle soreness dating back to last year. If you look at him when he's on the bench, every time he's on the bench now. He's got both of his legs wrapped up heavily from knee down, uh, so it, it feels like they're they're trying to preserve something there, trying to keep him on the court. I, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I've definitely said it to to people in Palace of Pistons before. It wouldn't surprise me if, as the season get, goes later on, someone like Duran gets shut down because I, I I do think if there's something wrong with the ankles, like probably not a great idea to keep running him heavy minutes later and later into the season when you're you know eliminated from the playoffs so I try to have a little bit, bit of grace with Thurman because I understand he he's does a lot of good things and he's asked asked to do a lot I mean when you put him out there with uh you know Fontecchio and Asar and Cade and Ivy like there's not a lot of great defense out there surrounding him like yes Asar does good things individually and he, and he plays a lot of effort but you're not going to get the, the the help defense or that interior protection, the interior help uh, that you're going to get when someone like Isaiah Stewart enters the starting lineup. And we saw, you know, against the Bulls, the Pistons only let up 95 points. Yes, the Pistons defense as a whole has been trending in a bit of a better direction uh, since the All-Star break, but it really looked better with Stewart and Durant out there. And I think that's the biggest um, positive that you could make when talking about pairing Stewart and Durant together, uh, in the in the starting lineup, is it's really going to help the defense because you have two guys out there now that can be big bodies that can protect the rim, that can help rebound and all that. So, just something to keep in mind uh, on the Jalen Durant front. I, again, not to just be in agreement with you guys on everything, but yeah, I think what we're learning with Ivy is he's just streaky, and and you'd like to him to become a bit more consistent. I, I do think there's a skill set development that still needs to happen with him in turning the ball over. Uh, some of the turnovers that he commits are just really, really frustrating where he gets tunnel vision or just gets so wrapped up in trying to get downhill and attack the basket that he's moving and thinking and processing before he ever puts the ball on the floor. So he's moving way too fast for himself. And, you know, we've seen some of the the growth and learning how to use different speeds when he's trying to get to the rim, but there's still uh, some need for growth in that regard. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at. It's not uh, hit the panic button, trade one of these guys. You've got plenty more time this season to, to continue to use these, these, these core four guys together and continue to let them build chemistry and get better and play more minutes together. Something that they just quite frankly have not done enough yet to, to seriously uh, give you enough of a grasp of where they can be. And if they work moving forward, I do want to segue into our next topic here. The Isaiah Stewart did return, like I mentioned against the bulls. He did come in and start the Pistons rolled with a starting lineup of Cade Cunningham, Jaden, IBSR Thompson, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duren. Simone from Tecchio moved to the bench. We do have a quote from Monty Williams on that starting five. Monty said uh, on Thursday that the quote is, quote, we're going to run with these guys for a while and see if we can get some synergy, especially on defense. So that was the quote on Monty talking about inserting Stewart into the lineup and rolling with that same starting unit moving forward. Uh, I was saying it from you know, the jump Stewart was going to return and come back into the starting lineup. I just wasn't sure if it was going to be for Fontecchio or Sar Thompson. So not surprised that he's back in it. I guess you can't argue with the results against the Bulls. Uh, I will put the caveat in there that the Bulls shot two of 26 or 29 from the three-point line. That is not going to happen against the Pistons again this year. So we'll need to see how it looks for uh, an elongated stretch. But how do we feel about this starting five group? Do 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 we like that? Stewart's back in it. Do we like that Thompson remains in it? Should have should Fentecchio have been in there instead of a star? Should Stewart be coming off the bench and should the Pistons be rolling with Fontacchio instead of Thompson? Does Quentin Grimes deserve a look in the starting lineup? Where are we at with this?
1: What seems like ever evolving starting lineup for the Pistons. I mean, I think this is a a two pronged thing. Like, okay, so first off, I, I think that it's crucial that you put Stewart in the starting lineup for now and it's crazy to me hearing those words come out of my mouth considering how many times on this (laughs) podcast Aaron you me and Mike have said Isaiah Stewart can't be the starting four but as of right now and I think this actually goes back to what I was saying in regards to Durant's defense and more specifically his limitations defensively um you know I I don't disagree about the ankles thing I think it might I think it's an issue, ankles, ankle injuries are a a reoccurring problem. It's something that does come up time and time again. Um, But absolutely, like what Stewart brings to you defensively right now, the numbers don't lie, man, like you look at how good they are defensively versus how bad they are defensively with him off the floor. It's night and day and, and the numbers don't lie. The eye test doesn't doesn't lie. They are much better on the floor defensively with Isaiah Stewart out there right now. And and I think the limitations of him and Asar and Durin, um offensively in terms of shooting are definitely there. But with Cade Cunningham cooking on the way he is right now, there are still opportunities to get easy buckets. So I, I think that that, you know, in regards to Cade's development, it has been a big, big thing as well. Uh, I have no issue with them doing this as the starting lineup. Season's over. Season's been over for months now in terms of wins and losses. What's really crucial is that you find exactly what you have from your core guys. And these are the five most important players. At least that's what we believe moving forward for Detroit. So you need to figure out if these guys can all play together. Um, You already have a financial commitment to Stewart. The other four guys are, you know, top draft picks over your last three drafts. So, to me, I have no issue with them rolling out there. Yeah, would Fontecchio help with spacing? Sure. But I think when you also look at who the Pistons are throwing out there on their second lineup, which when Tim entered into this, he said, Is this going to be another Monty Williams row session? Well, here we go, Tim. This is what you were looking for. <laughs> um, with Monty Williams throwing out these asinine, all five, you know, five bench units with Quinton Grimes handling the ball as like the primary playmaker and Malachi Flynn out there getting doing whatever it is Malachi Flynn does. I think the biggest thing about that, though, is that James Wiseman is also now clearly back into the rotation and is going to be getting those backup five minutes since Monty Williams largely refuses to stagger the minutes of either Cade Ivy or Durin and Isaiah Stewart. We'd love to see Isaiah Stewart (laughs) playing a little backup five, but it never happens. So when you have James Wiseman out there, I don't think you can also have a Sar Thompson on the floor because for all the limitations of Stewart and Duren offensively in terms of spacing, at least Duran can pass and at least Isaiah Stewart is willing to take a three and that opens up cutting lanes for Thompson. It opens up drives for Thompson. Those don't exist if James Wiseman is on the floor. Because he is in one place. He is in the post at all times. or he's setting the world's most ineffective screen up at the top. So to me, playing Asar and Wiseman together is really a no-go. So to answer your question, I think it's really because A, you have to find out what you have from those five guys. And B, I just do not think that you can play Asar Thompson and James Wiseman together and expect anything. You have to have Fontecchio shooting out there, because otherwise, look at what this bench unit is giving you offensively right now, especially with Sasser out. So I I think it's, it's a necessity to have Asar Thompson in the starting lineup, and I think it's also a necessity to have Isaiah Stewart out there as well for defensive purposes.
0: So you want Monty Williams to stagger starters is what you're saying.
1: I know, I know. It's crazy. Only Look, every, uh, only every team in the concept. NBA does it. Only every team in the NBA does it, Aaron. So how can you expect the Pistons yeah. to do it too? You you, twisted
0: um, my head there. I'm a little confused. That seems like something
1: that just doesn't, it's not possible. You're not allowed to do that. It's in the rule books. I mean. So this is incredible, Aaron. I thought so too, but I've only played middle school basketball, where you have to play all five, all four of your uh, uh, bench units at all times. So you know you have to put five guys out there for at least five minutes a Everyone's game. Got
0: to play a couple quarters, you know. That's how. It yeah, goes.
1: <laughs> I thought that. I thought that's how it worked for the NBA, but no, because I watched the Bulls just two nights ago stagger their starters. Um, oh my god, I it was insane. I mean, there was a there was a point at the end of the first quarter where the Pistons were playing all five bench guys, and the Bulls had Kobe White, uh, 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 Andre Drummond, um, DeMar DeRozan, and Alex Caruso all on the floor, either together or at different times, and they destroyed the Pistons. So, of course, Monty Williams, the $78.5 million man, what does he do? What does he concoct? What scheme, what lineup does he throw out there to counteract that Bulls lineup in the second quarter? Oh, uh, the exact same one he finished the first quarter with that got slaughtered and continued to get slaughtered until the starters came back into the game. So, yeah, man, I I got no answers for you there. <laughs> Look, I, it's bad enough that it's a
0: it's a five man bench unit for for ten plus minutes a game, but especially when bench guys are going down, like not having Marcus Sasser out there, so you're playing Malachi Plan. Like, I I just I just don't get it. And it's, I, I talked about it in, in my piece on palace of pistons.com, but it, it's just, it's just so confusing. You know, you, you don't want to come off as this arrogant guy that thinks he knows better than a, a professional, but it's like, this is the same stuff that, that we're hearing from everyone. It's like Ryan Rosillo said it uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast earlier this week, when, when you can watch league pass and know what the Pistons need to do, it shouldn't take Monty Williams coaching this team for 50 games to figure out what you've been watching, what you've been seeing, what you've been thinking since the first few weeks of the season. So if the Pistons could just maybe stagger Ivy and Kate a little bit, during Stewart a little bit, like I think they'd see better results from a game for a full 48 minutes rather than your starters come out in the first with three, four minutes left. You're up two, three, four points, whatever. By the time they get that all back in, you're down six, seven, eight, nine. And then you do the same thing in the half, in the second half, and they're coming in with six, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and you're down seven. And they've got to just try to come back from that hole that that the all bench unit uh, has dug them into. So, you know, if the Pistons were at full strength, maybe Marcus Sasser makes a difference in that. I, I still don't, would never say to run an all bench lineup. Um, but I don't think it's ever going to change, at least not this season. I, I think Monty Williams has made it very, very clear, despite all of, of the discussion surrounding it, despite all the different players he's coming and out, despite what all the analytics that they may or may not look at say, uh, he's not changing. And as frustrating as, as it is, I think that's just something we're going to have to deal with watching this team on a nightly basis. But it's also something that's certainly held this team back from winning a handful of more games this year.
2: Yeah, I'm, I posted a tweet uh, and... It was in, in response to a different tweet, but my my take is to be in a situation where literally everyone else, the beat writers, it seems like the players, the fans, anyone who covers the team, anyone who checks in on league pass just for a little bit, everyone can see what's wrong and they would have an easy fix for it, which is stagger Cade and Ivy, stagger Stewart and Duran, try new things. Um, anything except for the current plan that they're on, the, the current uh, beliefs that they hold themselves to in regards to rotations to, to be in a situation where literally everyone else in the entire Pistons sphere, even outside of it, sees what's wrong and knows how to fix it except for the person doing the wrong thing. I, I just, I just hope I'm never in a situation where like I'm doing something wrong and everyone else knows it to the degree that Monty Williams has, has played with rotations this year um the small like small things like um starting you you can make that case you can make the case that um maybe Cade and ivy need a little bit more time together less time together any any way you want to spin it would be better than what has transpired with the rotations this year i think it was like data-driven pistons fan or somebody like that who posted like the, the the visual splits of like who's playing what minutes um from one of the recent games and it's like Oh, wow, I can see the exact point, which all five players platoon swapped to the bench and the other five came in and some of the other other players like are not NBA players that are coming in. So you have a group of some non-starter NBA players and some non-NBA players, Uh, one of which would not, you'd not be surprised to know is James Wiseman playing in the same lineup together. And then I don't know if anyone's surprised when the Pistons lead evaporates or they quickly go down by even more. Um I want to touch on the the Wiseman point for a second and we can use this to talk about like Mike Buscala as well. Um like it would if there's betting odds of of James Wiseman being on the business next year. I'm not sure I mean bet online if you're listening you should get on this. I'm not sure where it would land, whether it's going to be like it's actually a debate whether or not it'd be like minus odds or not for James Wisen to be on the Pistons, this commitment to him playing. Um, And I'll pull one more tweet in from Jack Kelly of like a core four and core support. He did like Kate Ivey, Asar, Dern in the core four, and then Sasser, Grimes, Fontecchio, and Stewart in the core support. And the first response is from data driven Pistons fans. said they only need to use those players. So maybe you put like Troy Brown or shake Milton in this, in the spot where Marcus Sasser would be, but like, Anyone else could see, hey, you have eight, maybe nine NBA players on this roster or people who like would be like the right players to insert into the lineup to make those core four players uh, shine or at least get the most out of them. You only need to play eight players. A smart, strong, disciplined coach would only play the players who are NBA players. I mean, how many years did Tom Thibodeau play seven guys on the Bulls and partially like ran some of them into the ground for the sake of having a winning team now i'm not saying we need to play cade 42 minutes a night although it might take that to win sometimes but or with this with the way the roster currently constructed but with the fact that they have to play 10 players the fact that they have to be the first five and the second five and the fact that james Wiseman is in that second five um i'm not sure we can come back with any other take except for like if this is a problem and the Mike Muscala uh, buyout when he was clearly helping Asar Thompson. Like I'll let you guys carry this topic here. But to to agree to a buyout with Mike Muscala, who maybe you're doing a favor. We know that there's some agent connections there with the Pistons who have been uh, heavily infested by uh, agents and agent uh agent favor um like paradise right there is an escapade for any agent who needs to get a buyout for their guy to send to the Pistons. So, um, all that to say, we've seen ways in which this could work. We saw ways where Sar shine next to Muscala. We see what Muscala does for the good guards uh, on the team, and yet uh, he gets bought out. And that if that's because money said we're playing James Wiseman, then there's no coming back from from the way the Pistons are operating right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, well in Chicago oh, played nine guys the other night you know Chicago played nine guys against the Pistons they they used their starting five they brought in Drummond off the bench they brought in Javon Carter off the bench and they used two other players Dale and Terry maybe for a handful of minutes and there was one other guy It's like they, they played nine players and you know it's not a sin to do that it's not a crime to do that uh, you know and I don't even I wouldn't even be on Monty Williams for using 10 guys like I think that's fine it's normal most most coaches use a 10-man rotation it's just rotating the guys in and out and using the correct correct lineup configurations it's just beyond frustrating that it's it's like line changes in hockey here's my first five now go now my second five go in so yeah I think that's the biggest issue and yeah the James Wiseman thing um it makes no sense like plain and simple It, it makes no sense James Wiseman is essentially this team's new Killian Hayes. You you got rid of Killian Hayes. Finally, a a guy that should have never touched the court for you, but was starting and playing big minutes. And now you're stuck with James Wiseman coming off the bench and having games where he's playing more minutes than Jalen Dern or, uh, you know, leading the bench in minutes played in the game. And it, it, there's, there's just no numbers that show James Wiseman is helping this team. He's just not an NBA player at 22 years old and, and, That's the fact of it. And you can say, oh, the Pistons would never do that. Why would the Pistons purposely play a guy that's not an NBA player? Well, look at half of their roster from this season. They've played 27 guys in in a game throughout the season, and they've had four or five guys that are clearly not NBA players. Billion Hayes, not in the NBA anymore. There's been absolutely zero talk about him joining a new team. Joe Harris, another guy, not in the NBA anymore. No talk of him joining another team. Isaiah Livers did not touch the court after being traded to the Wizards. I know he's out for the year now with another injury, but even when he was playing for the Pistons this year, we were all kind of saying uh, it looks like it's the end for Isaiah Livers because it doesn't look like there's an NBA player there. Uh, you can look at, you know, playing Malachi Flynn right now. You can look at, again, James Wiseman. Danilo Gallinari's on the Bucks. He's definitely on the back end of his career. I don't even know how much he's playing for them right now. I did see he was playing in one game, but I don't know if that was just, you know, get him on the team and they needed a guy type of thing. But they've they've played guys that just aren't NBA players all season long. They've started them. They've closed with them. They've played them big minutes. So, uh, yeah, that's exactly what's happening with James Weissman. And let's segue into that Mike Muscala discussion because it is certainly connected. It's to the Pistons file Mike Muscala. They did it just before the deadline uh, in which players had to be waived in order to be eligible to signed with a playoff contending team. Uh, there were reports that Muscala is drawn interest from playoff contenders. I think Philadelphia, uh, OKC were a couple teams listed. Um, but we don't know who who wanted the buyout. Was it Mike Muscala or was it the Detroit Pistons? And if Muscala's got interest from playoff contenders, part of me thinks it was Muscala. I don't know if that's why he wasn't playing in Detroit, or if it came after the desire to get bought out came after uh, he was losing his minutes to James Wiseman. I thought Mike Pascala was playing well in his minutes. One of the few pistons with a positive plus minus in uh, his time on the court this year in Detroit, uh, there was a seamless fit with him coming off the bench, spreading the floor. They even started him a game or two. Uh, his minutes with star Thompson were really productive because you were allowing Asar to play in the paint, play in the dunker spot, play uh, the baseline cutter as Muscala spread out on the wings and in the corners. But Muscala's gone now, and that's opened up all of the backup minutes for James Wiseman. I, I would have really liked Muscala to stuck around even next year. I think he's a a a, a third-string, big, plays the four or five, spreads the floor, uh, a veteran presence. But he's now out of uh, the Pistons organization. I mean, does that move make any sense for Detroit, for a guy that seemed like, you know, yeah, he, he was going to play this year and should have played this year and could have played this year with the Pistons, but also was maybe making a case to be here a little bit longer term and sign a a new contract with the team uh, in the off season.
1: I I think you, and I can't believe I'm about to defend Monty Williams here. I think it had to have been on Muscala's part. Like it had to be him being like, look, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm getting older. I want to play for a playoff contender. Like I think that just has to be what it is because look at the results. I mean, look, you had last, you know, two nights ago against the bulls, you had James Wiseman come in and the first six possessions for the bulls. After he came in, they went directly at him, either via Drummond in the post or on the pick and roll. Every single possession was tailor-made to go at James Wiseman. And I think that, even for Monty Williams, who I'm like, just open your eyes. Sometimes, man, I have to imagine he sees that. And look, there has is gotta be a reason why Muscala was playing over Wiseman at first and they won a few games. Like, I don't think Monty Williams would fully ignore that. My guess is Muscala got out there played well. I think he, you know, rehabbed his, his trade value a little bit because obviously he was kind of just getting dumped for, for Marvin Bagley. Um, I just, I have to assume that's what the case is, is Muscala being like, hey, look, I gave you a few good gains, agent shenanigans, as Tim Forkin said, we have like a real Mueller report going on here, we have we have agents that are infesting the political uh, Pistons organization here, they have to be getting rid of, um, I just think that has to be what the case was, there's, there's no way that you could look at the results with Wiseman on the floor versus Muscala on the floor, and say, you know what, Mike Mascala, you got to go, buddy. Uh, it's it's James Wiseman time. Uh, it had to have been the case. So that's what I am assuming is is what happened here. Anything else would just be – I can't say I'd be surprised just based on how this organization operates, but it would somehow be like even a bigger show of malpractice by this front office and this this coach. Then almost anything else that has happened this year outside of uh, Killian Hayes starting over Jade and Ivy, like it, 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 the results were so obvious, they were so clear with Muscala on the floor versus Wiseman. So uh, that has to have been the case. It has to have been, right, Tim?
2: Has to have been. I don't. I don't have much to add. You just laid it out perfectly. Um, I will miss the Mike Muscala minutes. I really liked him in a short time. Uh, And I, hopefully he goes to a good team um, where he can win something. Uh, I know he's been a part of some pretty consequential trades in his, in his time. Uh, And let's see if his trade of the Pistons has any sort of consequence right now. It does not uh, with the Pistons waving both of the players they acquired in the deal. Um, I'm pretty sure Mike Mascala hit a shot uh, that gave the Sixers the pick um, or gave uh, their, his team a loss that gave the Sixers a pick to take Tyrese Maxey, um, which is a pretty incredible uh, like future piece of trivia. I, I, I like Muscala. I'm I'm bummed that he's gone. Um, I like you said. I really hope it is a hey, I want to go win something type deal as opposed to like hey, you're not going to play. Um, but the fact that we have to question it uh, on this podcast or even in private uh, is noteworthy in itself.
1: I'll say this too, like, here's another reason why I believe it has to be Muscala. Because if you look at basically how this all played out, the Pistons, don't forget, traded two second round picks in order to acquire Marvin Bagley, as well as Trey Lyles, who probably is the best player involved in that deal. Um, They then turned around and traded an additional second round pick to Washington, along with Livers and Bagley to get muscala and Galinari, who are no longer on the team so they traded multiple basically multiple second round picks and trey lyles for nothing for absolutely nothing at the end of the day so that's why i have to believe it was Moscala saying hey please do me a favor because otherwise what you've done is gotten rid of marvin bagley and Trey Lyles, and Mike Muscala in order to get rid of multiple second-round picks so you can play James Wiseman, who is the worst of all three of those players. So, like, if, if it's not Muscala begging to get out, all I can do is make, like, Italian hand motions to that. Like, fai what are you doing here? What is going on?
2: Yeah, or or it's a part of the longest-term plan ever, uh to get a player who i'm sure you guys will be talking about more on the podcast in future episodes tobias harris like is, is this just a another like, let's make sure his sellers out the books we don't want to extend them uh whatever this is just so we can bring in the tobias harris
1: but you can sign tobias harris as a free agent this offseason already you have so much cap space i i don't personally see what the $12.5 dollars for Marvin Bagley is really gonna do you, for you unless you're planning on reshaping the entire roster um, other than Harris like who's really out there that we think is gettable for the Pistons and free agency? I don't know. are you planning on throwing 50 million dollars over you know 50 million dollars a year for the next two years at Tobias Harris? It, if so, I think I'd rather you just keep Bagley in the first place.
2: Well if so, this becomes Palace of Red Wings, and we just stop doing
0: this all entirely. the Red Wings are a, a, a much more enjoyable team to discuss right now, so i'm not I'm not totally opposed to that, that idea.
1: At least their five man line changes make sense.
0: <laughs> That's actually how it's supposed to work in that sport. So. <laughs> but
1: yeah, I think that 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 about
0: sums it up for this week. Anything else uh, anything else you guys wanted to to add before we go here? Uh, I wish James Wiseman would play a hockey shift length instead of whatever he's
2: been playing. Uh, I wish he'd play for one or two minutes at a time.
1: He might actually be more mobile on defense if he was on hockey skates out there. You know what (laughs) what I mean? At least he (laughs) might flail and like hit somebody. Yeah, nick somebody and like stop him from driving. (laughs) I'm
2: about to go on ChatGPT and make a Wiseman Red Wings jersey for you guys.
1: (laughs) Um, I'll also say this. Um, I touched on it really quickly, but like, Quentin Grimes uh ball handling minutes. No, 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 please. It's it's insane to me that Monty Williams to start the year had to have an organizational intervention to get Jaden Ivy the ball in ball handling situations, but yet Quentin Grimes who can't handle the ball at all or playmake, he just steps into that role even off the bench. Like they weren't giving Ivy real bench ball handling minutes and Quentin Grimes just steps in and starts doing it from day one. Like what the hell man, Monty Williams.
0: uh, Just another confusing decision in a season that's been sure as hell full of them from top down in the organization. Uh, But that, I think that's where we're going to end it. We could, we could go into a million more uh, different nitpicks on decisions that this team has made, but I think we'll save those for future podcasts as we'll, we'll surely have them. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast presented by Lead and Bet Online. Uh, thanks so much to Tim for joining us off a vacation that he mentioned only a few times on the show, and Jasper for being back as well. Always great to have him back here. So uh, before you guys go, make sure to check out palaceofpistons.com. Please go subscribe to our weekly newsletter that's delivered directly to your email inbox uh, whenever we post something. Please go follow us on all of our socials palace of pistons on facebook on twitter on tiktok on instagram we're everywhere so go give us a follow um as well really really appreciate it and then make sure you're subscribing and liking rating reviewing all that good stuff and wherever you're listening to this week's edition of the palace of pistons podcast and we'll see you guys next week thanks so much for listening